Imagine living with no light, no power, and that there is no electricity for any health, education, or community services in your region. 760 million people, more than the entire population of Europe, still lack access to electricity and are using products such as kerosene and candles to light their homes. Energy poverty is an issue where off-grid solutions can step in. Off-grid solutions provide the fastest, most cost-effective and impactful way to reach most people who still live in the dark. In the last 10 years, more than 300 million energy poor people have been reached with life-changing solar solutions. And that includes solar lights, home systems, irrigation and cooling systems. These solutions are improving health, safety and opportunity for families across the developing world powering small enterprises, boosting agriculture, and lighting clinics and schools, all while reducing millions of tons of CO2. Yet, the financing that the sector receives still needs to at least triple. So far, impact investors, DFIs, and governments have been key to reach 300 million households. To achieve sustainable development goals, though, we need coordinated action among development partners, investors, governments, financial institutions, and companies. Welcome to Invest in the Sun. I am your host, Laura Fortes, and this podcast will reunite investors and industry experts to provide their experience and expertise to improve our understanding on how to bring more funding for the upgrade solar industry so that we can reach 1 billion lives by 2030. Invest in the Sun is a limited series podcast hosted by Gogla, the global association for the off-grid solar energy industry, and is supported by GetInvest, a European program supported by the European Union, Germany, Sweden, the Netherlands, and Austria. Welcome to the second episode of Invest in the Sun. This episode is about managing currency risks and hedging, which can sound a little bit daunting, but it is an important topic because companies engage in energy access and upgrade solar reach consumers that use local currencies to pay companies back. And while they receive money from lenders in hard currency. Overall, their objective is that uh, energy access sector becomes more sustainable, that investors are comfortable lending, and that uh, sector investments are multiplied. So with no further ado, uh, our guests are Brian Cox and Pervin Swai. Brian Cox is the president and CEO of MFX. And um, yeah, prior to starting MFX, Brian ran the Europe and Eurasia Division at the U.S. Treasury Department. And he's also served as Executive Vice President of the U.S.-Russia Business Council. Before that, Brian was an entrepreneur. MFX is a socially-oriented company that supports impact investing with affordable hedging products and risk management education. Pervin Swai, he is the Senior Vice President of TCX. He joined TCX in 2010 and is responsible for business development in Africa. Prior to that, Per worked in project finance at FMO, the Dutch Development Bank. And before moving to development finance, uh, Per worked as a corporate lawyer in the Netherlands and the US. 
TCX is a special purpose fund to hedge the currency and interest rate mismatch that is created in cross-border investments between international investors and local borrowers in frontiers and less liquid emerging markets. Okay, so um, yeah, hedging can be a little bit daunting for those that uh, have not uh, been involved in finance or studied finance. And uh, yeah, I have here uh, two guests that are um, experts in uh, mitigating uh, currency risks and uh, hedging. Uh, but I'd like to understand first, and I'm going to start from you, Brian. Can you elaborate more on how you work together with TCX? Uh, what, do you, yeah, what do you do in these frontier markets and how do you um, help mitigating this currency risk? Yeah, well, well we, we, are, we have very complementary roles. So MFX was basically set up to solve two problems that the, the microfinance uh, community was facing, but it's really the same problem that the off-grid solar face, community faces now, which is that you need an ability to hedge in all sorts of markets where hedging isn't available from, from commercial sources. And you need a way to make hedging accessible and reduce some of reduce the burdens of liquidity and collateral and some of the complexity um, to make it to make it something that that development finance lenders can actually use. And that's what MFX was set up to do. And the first problem, which is really the biggest, which is how do you get hedging, you know, where there is no market for hedging? That's that's where that's TCX's role. So when we when we first started and we had these two challenges, uh, the answer to the first challenge was TCX. So um, MFX was partially created as a as a way for for uh, non DFIs and non you know basically non DFIs to access the resource of exotic currency hedging, which where TCX is really the the unique market maker. Um, and MFX became an investor in TCX kind of on behalf of the microfinance industry. Um, and we were an intermediary, so we take risk from our clients, pretty much the same way a bank does. They take risk and then they offload the risk. So we take risk and we offload more than half of our risk goes to TCX. And then in places where clients need um, hedges and things where in areas where there is commercial hedging available, we can offload that to, to banks. So MFX can offer hedging pretty much anywhere at any tenor. TCX really takes the piece that is not available in the market. Um, and then our other, the solving that other problem of collateral, we, we work with, with DFIs like DFC, uh, FMO, um, FinDev Canada, and they provide us with, with credit guarantees on our clients. And then because of our, because we're taking risk on one side and offloading it to other, because we have, we have these AAA guarantees, we can essentially eliminate the collateral burden, which typically can, you know, require, you know, 10% upfront plus some unknown amount that you'd have to put up. And so this really makes us a way to access TCX on, on much better terms. Um, so, when, when people are coming to us for a hedge, particularly in Africa, mm -hmm. um, we're working directly with TCX and that risk is actually being passed on and, and being managed by TCX. Is there anything else that you'd like to add there to that? Yeah, no, I wanted to 
just to maybe because uh, where you started off rightfully so saying that hedging is a daunting topic <laughs> you know, I, I had the same experience and I think everybody does who's not familiar with the derivative product and the hedging and you know all the technique and mechanics around it it can be very intimidating but I think it's important to sort of demystify all of that what what TCX and MFX collectively do and we can talk about you know more the detail of how we do it but you know, it is it's really international development finance lenders, development finance institutions, impact investors, all these you know institutions that lend to emerging and frontier markets, they can provide that finance and denominate it in dollars. They can denominate it in euro, which is what they typically do. They could also choose to denominate it in Japanese yen or any other currency. And they could also choose to denominate it in the currency that fits the revenues of the borrower, whether it's Kenyan shilling or, or Sierra Leone Leones or any other uh, currency, and so that's a very simple choice you can make. You can index a loan agreement to have it in euro, dollar, any other currency. Um, if you do that, it means that uh, the the lender. Uh, uh, you know, car carries that currency risk. If it, but a, do a, a dollar lender, like most of the DFIs, their functional currency is dollars, and therefore they like to index their loans to the dollar, means that they don't have any currency risk. What we, together with MFX, for certain types of lenders, and we directly for many of the bigger DFIs, but what we collectively uh, do is we enable all these development finance lenders, all these impact lenders, to instead of only being able to denominate their loans in dollars, to tell them, look, you can denominate your loan in any currency. Uh, let it be driven by the by your borrower's uh, choice. What are his revenues? Then index that loan to his uh, uh, currency, which means that it's now the lender who takes that risk. If he's uh, again, if he if his functional currency is the dollar, and he denominates the loan to the Kenyan shilling, it means that he is exposed to dollar Kenyan shilling risk. And what we then collectively do is we tell that lender, don't worry about it, give that risk to us, and we sit on it. It's, it's, what we're really doing is we're telling every international lender out there, every development finance lender, you have no need uh, to uh, lend in dollars only. We can help you lend in any currency globally uh, so that you can offer your borrower the best, best possible product. And all the technicality is very important and how the, 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 the hedge works and, and the risk allocation, all these things are massively important. But really for a borrower in an emerging market uh, and for most lenders, that is sort of secondary issue. The main thing is that we are telling them we can help you provide loans in any currency, at any tenor, at any volume, and there is no longer to uh, no longer necessary to impose currency risk on your borrower. That, that, that's the main main message uh, and the mandate that we collectively are, are executing. And yeah, and I think it's a message that needs to get out to borrowers too, that if somebody comes to you and says, ah, you know, I can only offer you dollars, you, they, their answer should be, no, you did, you know, you can't, you can give me what I need. Um, yeah. And there's one, if I may add one more thing, there's this very often this common misunderstanding that it would wait a minute, how can a, an international lender provide a shilling loan? And that sounds counterintuitive. People think, yeah, yeah a shilling loan has to come from a, a, bor a lender in Kenya. But that is, that is around, that is 
you, you can agree anything. Uh, you can agree to link a loan to a shilling or link it to the gold price or link it to any kind of index, but you could also agree to link it to the Kenyan shilling. And this is why international lenders can provide loans in any local currency. It's just an agreement between the lender and the borrower to index it to a certain currency that transfers the, in, the exchange rate risk to the lender. Most lenders cannot handle it, and that's why we exist, to take it off their books. And the unique thing about us together is that uh, MFX has the right product, the right structure to serve as smaller funds, microfinance lenders, other smaller impact lenders, for which it is very difficult to trade with us because we have certain collateral requirements. So that is a massively important uh, role that MFX fulfills. We transact with a much smaller number of bigger shareholders. They don't have the typical issues that the funds have. And collectively, we can serve service, yeah, basically the entire development finance community. Yeah. And this is such a key thing for the for our sector, for off-grid solar energy access, uh, because the companies in our sector, of course, uh, do give loans in local currency to their consumers. Um, so yeah, it would be, I mean, you both know how much of a big of a risk uh, that is whenever you are um, then having lenders giving you loans in, uh, in, in hard currency. So what you both do and the work of MFX and PCX is, is, is quite key in order to uh, mitigate the risks uh, of the sector. Um, and then, yeah, Going a little bit on this, uh, we have talked uh, already about uh, what you both do, but then I'm also curious to understand, and Ryan, you mentioned um, a few times that you um, were, you, you have quite a lot of experience in the MFI sector. Um, but yeah, then I'll, I'll be curious to understand what got you into energy access and, and, and one, why do you see this as an opportunity for MFX to, to step in? Yeah, I mean, and I, I think, I mean, I think Pear did a, a good job of kind of explaining the, the, the logic of it, but it's also, but there, that, that convincing people not to, not to take that risk is not, is not as easy as it, it seems on, on the surface. And if you look at the history of microfinance, microfinance is about 40 years old. And 30 years of that was just growth based on exactly the model that that Pear was describing in his early days, which was uh, dollar lending being pushed on to onto local institutions, and just an acceptance of that of that risk and of the mismatch on the balance sheet of the of the um, microfinance institutions. And um, when MFX was first starting, we were just we were it was just right before the 2008 crash. And there had been basically a decade where the dollar was weak, emerging markets were strong, and microfinance was just growing at 50% a year. So there was a huge buildup in risk. But during that time, people were making money on the risk, and nobody was really paying much attention to it. And people were borrowing at low rates in dollars and thinking, wow, this is great, this is cheap, um, but not really, not really understanding the risk they were taking. And when we first were thinking about starting MFX, we said we, we were going to half of our mission was going to be just going out and talking about what these risks are and how, what, what the, you know, what the potential downsides of all this were. And then 2008 happened 
And we didn't have to do that anymore because everybody, everybody realized there were huge devaluations and everybody saw their effective lending rates going from 5% to 35% when their currencies devalued. And there were bankruptcies and lots of restructurings. And, and so that was the lesson that microfinance really needed. Uh, it would be really nice if off-grid, the off-grid sector doesn't have to go through that, go, go through that step and can start things out, you know, on a, on a stronger footing and, you know, really from, from the beginning start on a, on a local currency model. So you don't, you don't have that, that buildup. Um, and I think it's, I think it's important for just for the risk in the industry. It's also important if where, where your ultimate goal is to get is to, is to have real local currency financing. So where microfinance is now, the vast majority of, of financing for microfinance institutions comes from local financial markets, interbank, uh, deposits, just the normal way financial institutions in, in developed countries finance themselves. So microfinance has really mostly transitioned into just being, you know, re retail banking for low income people in developing countries. Uh, there's still a, a, a niche for international lending, uh, which is still it still continues to grow, but it's just a, a thinner slice of a much bigger pie. Um, but uh, um, but that's the trajectory you want to eventually get to in, in off grid. And but to do that, you have to create a model where the the companies are used to borrowing in local currency. They're not building up big balance sheet mismatches that that then a local bank who finally decides to dip their toe in says, oh, wait a minute, I don't want to lend to these guys. They've got they've got massive balance sheet mismatch. So you want to have a process where you can sort of transition fairly seamlessly from international lenders providing local currency financing and showing the way and then moving to local currency, providing local currency, finance, local current local banks providing local currency. So it's important, I think, to get off on the right foot. Yeah, and then we haven't uh, reached that uh, that level of maturity yet in the off-grid solar industry. I mean, like you know, there's um, I think a few of the bigger companies, and then we have seen like a few loans from um, local banks, but but that's really you know it's 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 not there yet. I mean, the the industry has not built yet enough. Uh, trust so yeah we're still uh, a while to go so what yeah what 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 to do in the meantime it's in order to get in the future to get the sector financed domestically is what you want to get to you need to build a resilient sector uh, and financing a sector as a whole with with hard currency is simply not is not in the long run not sustainable and there's multiple 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 empirical evidence to support that um, it's just not wise uh, to build a sector with a big currency mismatch in it. What the issue is that I think what we all face, the, pro the product now exists. There's no need anymore for a corporate, let's say, let's stick to the off-grid sector. There's no need anymore for a, any corporate off-grid company uh, to the extent that they still have to rely on international lenders, which is still the case, right? It's, it's still, we're still a, a, a little way away from all the local banks chipping in with finance mm -hmm. domestically. So there's going to be this reliance on international lenders for some time to come. Um, they now have that product. That's what we, you know, what we, what we mentioned earlier, the product exists. They can all lend in local currency at any given tenor. So that's no longer the, the, the constraint. I think the challenge that we 
as a as as stakeholders, industry stakeholders all face, is this constant uh, uh, trade-off between what is important for the sector as a whole, which, and we can talk about it, but I think the conclusion is undeniably always the same. For the sector as a whole, it makes a lot of sense to finance it exclusively with local currency because that builds a, a more resilient sector. There's less uh, inherent risk, uh, less budgeting issues, less volatility in the PL. You build more bankable sector. It will attract cheaper and better funding. And the list just goes on and on and on. Um, and there will be currency shocks in these developing markets. So if you do it differently, you are exposing the entire sector. Uh, and it leads to uh, a weaker sector, less ec sustainable economic growth. But the challenge is that for an individual lender and for an individual borrower especially, you will always see this tendency for corporate companies when they are faced with a financing choice, uh, and this is, a, this is not a financially regulated sector as of yet, which means that off-grid corporates uh, are, are basically free to decide whether or not they will run currency risk. So you will see that, that these off-grid companies, when they are at a debt funding uh, stage and they will talk to international lenders, the international lenders may now offer the choice of a dollar loan and a local currency loan. But the local currency loan, when it's hedged with us or when it's unhedged, it's the same thing really, uh, will reflect the higher risk. Uh, so local currency interest rates will be higher uh, than the dollar rate. And you will always see this dynamic of an ind individual borrower when faced with the the choice of borrowing, let's say, uh, for for in dollars at eight percent per annum, or in local currency at fifteen percent per annum, there's always this this tendency to think, hey, wait a minute, the 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 local currency loan seems a lot more expensive than the dollar loan. Let's go with the dollar facility. Willfully or unwillfully, ignoring the fact that the depreciation of the local currency will add to that dollar cost of of borrowing. So you, you, and this is a constant challenge. What, what is good for the sector as a whole, I think, is clear, or less, less, less controversial at least. Um, but what is good for an individual borrower and an individual CFO who needs to make that decision: Shall I borrow in dollars at the lower nominal interest rate and maybe speculate a little bit on how the currency will behave, or shall I take the safer product and pay a higher nominal interest rate? That is a, that is a challenge that that we are all also constantly facing. We're always talking to borrowers and to lenders trying to encourage them to take the, the local currency product. But it is understandable, it is understandable that, that an individual corporate is, is tempted to speculate mm -hmm. and, and take the dollar loan instead. I'm sure, I'm sure Brian would like to add. <laughs> well, I you know, if, if, you're, if you're particularly for uh, companies that you know, are already taking taking a lot of a lot of risk that that are you know maybe new companies. If you run you know if you run your numbers at with borrowing costs at at seven percent, and they work, and then you run your your bar you run your model at at local currency borrowing costs at thirteen percent, even though you know that seven percent can easily become thirteen percent with with kind of the expected devaluation. You know, if, if it doesn't work at 13% and it does at seven and somebody's going to give you the money, you're like, okay, I'm just going to, I'm just going to pretend I forgot about that possible depreciation. But I mean that, and there should be lender discipline. We always tell lenders, make your clients, even if you're going to lend to them in hard currency, 
make them run their run their numbers using the swap, you know, the equivalent local currency mm -hmm. swap rate, just to see if it works. Because if it doesn't work, you 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 are you become as the lender, you become a currency speculator, and that's not necessarily the business you want to be in. Brian, recently um, you mentioned to me that you were working uh, with uh, one of the lenders of the industry um, on a hedging that was related to uh, securitization. And, and this is such an important innovation uh, for the sector that is going to allow for more growth because, of course, it allows the operator to grow more sustainably, to predict their future cash flows uh, while the lender takes on that financial management uh, risk of, of, of those assets. Yeah, can you tell us a little bit more uh, about how this worked from your perspective and about how, yeah, this can be, I guess, one of the catalytic instruments uh, for the industry to grow? Yeah, th this was the, uh, the Brighter Life Kenya transaction, uh, which was, which raised for the, in terms of the sector, a huge amount of financing. So $120 million dollars of financing um, uh, to basically buy assets primarily from from Delight, which is one of the largest uh, one of the largest Pago companies, um, and it was fine. It was, the the financing came from DFC and and Norfund, and to me this this is really an exciting model that that can really bring you know has has the sort of the 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 right equation that it gives the lenders the exact risk they want and it takes and it gives the borrowers the easiest way to just free up their working capital and put it right back to work. So if you're looking at it from the perspective of, of Delight, the borrower, they, they don't want it. They don't want to be in the finance business. They want to be in the business of selling solar home units and the financing business is just sort of a, frankly, kind of an irritating additional thing that they have to do to, to make that happen. So what they want to do is basically sell, sell their, sell their product and get their money right away so that they can then put it back into their business. And this is just a, a easy kind of quick way to, to essentially do that and get those, get those, that lend those lending assets off their balance sheet and get the money back to them so they can put, they can put it to use for the lender what it does is it, it, it basically um, fences off their risk to just exactly the credit risk, uh, the client credit risk uh, on, on, the, on the purchase of these assets. So when you make a loan, when you make a loan, sort of a direct loan to one of these companies, there's all sorts of reasons that that, that credit could go bad. And it might have nothing to do with the actual credit quality of the the financing portfolio that that company has. So the, the clients may be paying, but they find another way to default. But if you're just buying those assets, you, you've limited your risk to that one, that one factor. How good is the credit of those, of those, of those clients of, of Delight? And that's something, you know, you can get data on, you can track over time and and they don't have to worry about all the other the other the other risks of, lend, of lending to lending to a company. So to me, this is a model that you can start to bring in other types of private development capital, even you know, and you you create kind of a securitization model off of this. And it really, to me, I, th I think 
you know, is, is to me like the most promising model for really scaling, scaling up financing. Um, and I know there's other initiatives going on out there. Um, this one, you know, did it traditionally, they'd been sort of done for a single, um, a single payco company, a single servicer. But I think over time, you're going to be able to have, have, uh, SPVs that can bring in multiple servicers and there's going to be a lot of innovation and the kind of the legal uh, setup burden will become less. And this can really be, I think, an efficient way to, to create working capital for the industry. And, and yeah, talking about uh, uh, yeah, these uh, new instruments uh, for the industry, um, Per, I, I know that you mentioned that you're also working uh, with uh, crowd funders at the moment. And uh, I think in the last uh, update uh, from the Google Investments database, crowdfunding representing already 10% of the total debt raised uh, by the sector, which is quite significant. So yeah, I'll be quite curious if you can talk a little bit about uh, how you're working with crowdfunders and, and yeah, what, what you're doing on that front at the moment. Yes. Um... Yeah, yeah. As you say, crowdfunding is—I mean, not 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 just in this sector, but across sectors—is has become a very meaningful source of development finance. Um, and uh, we we we've been coming across crowdfunders more and more, and also in the off-grid sector. And and there's a couple of, I think, familiar names that we all know, like Lend a Hand and Trine, Betterfest. Um, sort of active in in that space. What what we we uh, we started to discuss with them because the issue with platforms is that they are essentially, of course, just a pass through. They are a website that that bring together. Uh, there are multiple models, but the models that we're referring to here and the ones that I mentioned mm -hmm. are platforms that bring together retail investors, European-based retail investors. Uh, channel their uh, money into into let's let in this case the off-grid sector, but the, the the platform itself, it's it's yeah it's a manager. Uh, it's not a it's not a, a company with a, a balance sheet. It does not have. It cannot access the cash flows uh, mm -hmm. itself that that re relate to the investments. It's just managing the cash flows on behalf of the investors and the and the borrower. Mm -hmm. So it's just a, a, a go between and an intermediary. And then the issue with intermediaries like that is that it's very difficult to provide them with a hedge because a hedge normally requires, you know, collateralization, uh, so uh, security basically, um, and there is quite a quite a bit of an operational, uh, uh, how do you say, dimension that comes with that. But the main thing with platforms is that they cannot provide security. They have no balance sheet. They have no liquidity sources to do that. So uh, we needed to look uh, uh, at finding a different way of uh, uh, contracting platforms. And we developed a structure that uh, involves a third party that takes on uh, our counterparty credit risk. And that's the risk that we provide a hedge to a platform. Uh, and the hedge, which can happen, moves in our favor, which would mean that the currency has to basically, the local currency has to appreciate. And in those circumstances that the that the borrower, the, the energy company concerned, would go bankrupt, the loan would be lost, and something would still be owed to us under the hedge. That is a risk that TCX does not take. So we needed to find a solution for that to, to, to be able to, to face the, the platforms. And we brought in one of our donor partners, which is in this case the German government, 
who is very uh, willing to uh, to make that work for us. So we've now developed a structure which hopefully will go live any day now. Um, so fingers crossed, but I'm pretty confident to say that it will happen with uh, the Dutch platform Lenderhand to start with. Uh, I'm quite uh, confident to see that the first local currency loans will 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 be channeled through that platform this year. Uh, and if that's successful, of course, we would like to to uh, to expand that to include other platforms uh, and as many currencies as possible and start building a portfolio. Because um, yeah, it's a very it's it's clearly a very interesting new promising source of development finance and. Also here, uh, we should facilitate the loans being in the right currency for the borrowers, which yeah. in this sector definitely uh, is local currency. Yeah, it's absolutely great news that, that that there are so many developments happening that that yeah that could be um, providing solutions for the industry to 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 get more funding and to get more uh, investors in the table. And there's one thing that you know we. I have heard a few times, and I'm curious about what you both have to say about that, which is that um, hedging um, this currency mitigation that you both do has pretty high transaction costs. And we've touched upon it like a little bit in the beginning and how uh, it is also the work of the lender to, you know, like do that education. But what do you have to say to that? Um, what do you have to say in terms of affordability? And it, yeah, what's what's happening on that front? What would you say to those that say that? Yeah, I think we both have a lot to say about that topic. If I, if I may just chip in with my Please. first 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 thing is that is what we were just discussing, and uh, that we have we have the right choice. If you look at it from a macroeconomic point of view, uh, the long term differential between interest rates and how it correlates with depreciation risk and all these things, the right decision is that. Uh, your local currency is not more expensive than dollars. If you factor in all the all the relevant uh, factors, it's it's simply you cannot say that the one is more expensive than the other. The challenge is to that that you will have individual borrowers who are faced with this choice. And, and Brian commented it. I, I mentioned it that there's this temptation to choose for the dollar uh, transaction, which has a lower nominal interest rate. Um, and I think one of the things that we do look at is we want to we want to prevent uh, we want to we do want to make we do want to persuade or encourage borrowers to make the local currency choice and we do want to uh, encourage lenders to steer their borrowers into that direction um, but we also recognize that it's it, it is it can be economic uh, for a, a corporate company to say well listen uh, Every penny counts. Uh, I have a, a, a more bullish view on, on my local currency than uh, than you, perhaps as a lender, do. I'm gonna I'm gonna take the dollar loan and hope for the best for the next couple of years. It's an understandable decision. It's probably not the right decision from a, a risk management point of view, but it's understandable. And one of the things that we we do look at is if you want to prevent that kind of dynamic, if you want to prevent borrowers making that speculative decision, one of the things that you could consider is say, let's all work together to make the local currency alternative slightly more attractive, for example, by reducing the cost of it, by maybe applying a subsidy, knocking something off that local currency interest rate as sort of a compensation for removing the dollar option from the equation. So you, you say to all the corporates out there, and, and I love the word that Brian used, you know, 
you know, have the lender discipline to do that as a sector, to all take the bigger interest at heart and say it's in everybody's interest to do local currencies across the board that stop offering the dollar option. But as, as compensation for removing that option, uh, that speculation option, uh, uh, for as compensation for removing that option, let's do something to make the local currency uh, financing alternative at least look more attractive. Let's let's reduce the rate from 15 to to 13. Just an example. It's definitely something that we are looking at. And if there's uh, you know the right donor partners who wish to support something like that, then it's it's something that we we will look at. Certainly in the least developed markets. Um, uh where 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 subsidies would not uh, uh distort uh yeah. what is already going in sort of the commercial debt markets you know I, I i have sort of two things to that i look at so if if hedging were massively mispriced tcx were massively too expensive tcx would be making lots of money and an investor in tcx I know they are not making lots of money. They make money sometimes and then they lose money and then they lose money sometimes. Um, but overall, TCX's return has been just, just about the risk-free, the risk-free dollar rate. So from that standpoint, you know, I mean that all that that metric always tells me that TCX is pricing overall just about right. Um, and you know, we have lots of clients. I mean, a typical story, the client will come to us and, and you know, we'll price a hedge and they'll look, they'll say, well, we look back for three years and, and if we had, if we had hedged, we would have done worse over the last three years. So we, we've got this figured out. We're, we're not, we're not hedging with you. It's too expensive. So of course, you know, the, the next part of the story, which is in the next three years, they just get torched. And then they come crawling back to us and then put on, and put on a hedge. So it's, it, it's, it's, you know, it's a discipline, but there are, but you know, in those three years they made, they made more money. So, so it's, it's more of a, it's more of a discipline and it's a decision about what business you're in and it's making, it's taking, you know, taking costs from being unknown costs that you'll never know until the, until the end of the, the loan is over to costs that, that you know up front and, and can calculate and, and work, work around. Um, so. Yeah, uh, and one more comment there is that in, in microfinance, you know, as Brian mentioned at the beginning, regulation that came in also post-financial crisis has played a very big role, basically disallowing microfinance institutions locally to, to borrow in dollars and only lend in local currency to run those mismatches which has forced the industry to some extent to, to borrow in local currency and not run those risks anymore. The off-grid sector, whilst it is also a consumer finance lending industry, doesn't have that kind of regulation in place as of yet, uh, at least not in any of the countries that, are, that I'm aware of. And, and whilst that's not the case, maybe it is more, you know, it's sort of more upon us as a, as a development finance community to perhaps self-regulate a little bit. And really uh, do the do what we can to avoid uh, sort of this 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 uh, piling up of uh, of uh, mismatches in the sector. At the moment, we I mean we're seeing a relatively 
uh, stagnant sectors in terms of uh, capital flows, actually. So we see, I mean, there's, there's growth in the sector, but in terms of capital flows, we do not see a lot of uh, new investors stepping in. Um, but yeah, my question would be, um, I'll start, uh, I think, once again from you, Brian. What do you see, like, in the next uh, five to ten years from the sector? Is this, like, should this really... Uh, be a concern or are you seeing um, enough uh, new instruments for the sector to uh, develop a little bit more positively and new investors stepping in yeah what's your uh, yeah what's what's your prediction it seems like the his the relatively still relatively short history of this this industry is that there are these tipping points and you know five or seven years ago it was kind of the the, com the combination of mobile payments and remote monitoring that really tipped the scales and allowed for this kind of burst of, of growth um, and you know and now maybe we're kind of at a point where there's another another tip tipping point that needs to happen mm -hmm. to bring in bring in more capital um, and I mean, as uh, as you could tell from my answer about the securitization model, I think that's a, that's a really um, exciting new way that potentially you can yeah. bring new players into the market. Mm -hmm. I I don't I don't know that that's that that's the only thing. I mean, I know just from the, the from the finance side. So there may be other things like you know, better distri better distribution models to, yeah. you know, non-urban areas that, that need to need to come in. I mean, it isn't, it isn't always about finance. I mean, you know, it's about mm -hmm. supply and, and demand, of course, mm -hmm. but I mean, we all know there remains this, you know, there remains almost an infinite, you know, potential demand of people who are, you know, need, need access to, to solar power. So, the ultimate demand is is always is is there no matter what, and so I I, I think you know I think there are new tip, new potential tipping points on on the finance side. Yeah. Um, yeah. Whether I mean I think I think there's a, there's a there's a challenge of of whether the the industry will grow in kind of a concentrated manner, whether the big players will you know kind of click in, find new financing and, and it'll, and really grow or whether it'll be more inclusive and a lot of smaller players, there's room for smaller players to, to play. And I mean, I think the risk of the former model is you probably get a lot of growth in the big markets and then in, you know, the really hard, harder markets, you know, get neglected. Um, cause they, you know, they need smaller domestic players. And if those, those guys are cut out of the, kind of most efficient financing structures, then that that's going to leave some, leave people out. Mm -hmm. um, but I, I'm not, I'm not clear. I think, I think at least the, the financing structures can potentially be made to work for everybody. So. I find that a very difficult uh, question, uh, Laura, to answer. I, I was just thinking of it. Uh, I, would I have anything uh, smart to say about it? I, I think we, we, we try to be uh, as smart as we can on making sure that when there is a financing need, we can we can structure it in such a way that it gets done in the right currency. That's our role, and we try to be as creative and innovative and and you know as as we can to really m match match the demand for uh, local currency funding with the right supply. Um, 
but what is the how the sector is going to be you know pushed forward and 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 what is required i think luckily there's lots of really you know bright minds thinking about that very hard i'm sure and are closer to the sector than we are yeah maybe looking at it you know from a distance i, I think a lot of the success is probably going into the semi urban sort of regions where where affordability is high there's money to be made uh, what which is what is the, how how can you reach all those you know bigger number of people uh, in the more rural communities i'm i'm very glad to see uh, all the new developments that you're working on and and you know hoping that those will help uh, the industry build a more inclusive market um and uh, and yeah um be safer and and, and, and and with the instruments that can really mitigate uh, the risks of uh, currency and then hopefully uh, bring more investors on the table via these new structures, uh, whether it be uh, securitization or crowdfunding so that uh, we can get uh, yeah more people on board. Um, well, thank you so much, uh, both of you. I've learned a lot uh, in this conversation. And thanks for all the great work happening.